We're sitting here in uh, Paul Sanderson's law office. Paul has been kind enough to sit down with us and have a little chat about his life in, in the legal field, about his photography, about his music. Um, Paul is also an educator. You do a lot of things. Sometimes I think I do too much, but <laughs> the power of yes, the power of no, I don't know. What came yeah. first, music or oh, yes, photography? Yes. Uh, music, for Tell sure. me about yeah. how that started. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, way back in public school, uh, my uh, mother thought it would be a good idea to have both my brother and I study piano. Mm-hmm. So at age seven, through the public school system, um, we enrolled in uh, piano lessons after school. And uh, it wasn't really <laughs> a matter of choice. It was, you're going to do this, right? <laughs> so the piano was always kind of, you know, chosen for me and my brother. And uh, I think he took to it a little more than I did. But I stuck with it for 10 years. But it's a funny thing. Uh, back then, you would start with group lessons. And you would start with a, a, a really just a cardboard keyboard because we didn't have a piano Mm -hmm. right at home till we finally my parents finally were able to save up to get an upright grand piano and um (laughs) so i can still remember i think i probably still have that keyboard at home where where we would you know it wasn't even by numbers it was just by feel and look the black and white keys you would learn to practice on and then you'd use the piano at school in the public school system so your parents didn't have to listen to really bad music? Well, for, not for the first few months till they got a piano. <laughs> then they did. And then I stuck with the cl- classical piano for, for 10 years. Uh, but uh, about age, uh, age uh, 11, I picked up the guitar. And of course, the Beatles were the number one influence. So, uh, and, and things took from there. So that I, I always feel like I chose the guitar, whereas the piano was chosen for me. So, but I still play both to these days. And and what did the piano lessons or that introduction to classical music give you? It gives you a discipline and, and a, a few rap knuckles when <laughs> the day when you're playing around out. Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, it's funny because on the piano, if you ever listen to me play, you can still hear that I was classically trained. I can't shake that. Although I joke about it, I spent 10, 10 years learning it, 10 years unlearning it, 10 years forgetting it, and now I'm 10 years trying to relearn it. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think that training um, gave you an appreciation for music, or do you think it was totally a different thing? I, I It must have, Marco, but it, it, it's funny, I don't have that very fond memories. It was a discipline more than anything, I think. Although there were moments in the classical, you know, repertoire that where you go, you could actually emotionally relate to it. Mm-hmm. It's, but it's certainly not like rock and roll or blues. <laughs> it just isn't, right? It's a more heady thing. It's a more academic thing for me. So the Beatles grabbed you, but you obviously, you play in a blues band. When did yes. the blues come into your life. Oh, oh well, uh, th- that's pretty easy. I mean, as you follow through the transition of the 60s, guys like uh, Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix were very blues-based. So, mm-hmm. And there was a blues boom going on in those late 60s and the early 70s. So 
uh, that's when Downshell got its start. So mm-hmm. it, it, it wasn't a big stretch at that point. And, and even the Beatles, I mean, even though they were primarily a rock band that had rock and roll roots, they played blues too. If you look back in some of their, you know, some of their repertoire, there this blues in that too. So, I mean, the blues when you get farther deeper into the the roots of the music, it's pretty obvious that there's a lot of it's blues inspired. So, when did the photography happen? That's a good question. You got to fast forward now to the '90s after having. <clears throat> spent many a year uh, pursuing, you know, success as a musician, um, and still pursuing it even when I was in law. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the projects I was working on that I'd worked on for years just went nowhere. So, so I would explain that. Yeah, just like you know, you're pursuing something, you're spending money, you're trying to rehearse, you're trying to get it out, and it just went nowhere. So. I finally went, eh, music, and it wasn't even a conscious decision, it's just, I just needed a break, you get burned out on it. <clears throat> what kind of it, music was that, was that a blues band, or was that some No, band? no, if you check on my website, it was kind of a post-punk Billy Idol thing. Oh. I was much younger then, yeah. <laughs> it's a good video there, it's called Wild Style. Okay, I do. I'll definitely if you check wanna, it out. If you want to take a check, check a, a, and take a look at it, but it was... Um, so that just went nowhere. <clears throat> um, so even get... at one point the goal was to be a musician. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I think I more or less resigned myself that I'm not going to be a musician <laughs> at this point. <laughs> that my career is actually on the legal side <laughs> 30 years later. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Maybe I better call that the career. <laughs> but as a player, you're always, you know, you're bitten right. and smitten and that's it, right? No matter what you do, you're always looking to do that outside. I mean, it doesn't matter, even to this day. I mean, I, if I've got free time, I'm going to be probably picking up a guitar or writing a song or doing that. Um, the photography and the poetry come very much secondary to right. me. So I picked up two hobbies, of course, that me being the typical overachiever that I'm, I'm told I am. Not one, but two, to divert me from music at that time. And I, I didn't even think of that as a, that's what it was, but it was. So four years between 92 and 96, when Blue Room started, as a, it started as a solo album for me. I finally went, you know, I took what I, they call the rocking chair test. If you look forward to when you're 80 and would you regret not doing this right. and that was an album right that was a test I said yeah I would so I'm going to do an album so that's where Blue Room came in but that's another story so you were asking about poetry and photography I ended up taking a couple of courses at Ryerson um, in the 90s and uh, in both poetry and photography not quite sure why poetry but I can't remember that's a long time ago now <laughs> It seemed like a good thing to do, and it was. I, I've been writing lyrics anyway, so there's all this stuff that, that material that doesn't find its way into songs, and I went, well, maybe I can do something with this. So that that became a goal in itself, and it, it became a ten-year goal to be published as a poet, which I have achieved. So, so and what's the legal part here? Are you have you gone to legal school? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, the so law you finished. happened uh, back in uh, 1978 through to 81. And my, uh, how did you decide on degree. that? 
Oh, well, that's another story too, yes. <laughs> well, I've been kicking around the bars trying to make it as a guitar player, right, and a musician. And um, it just wasn't happening. So I finally threw in the towel. I was all the ripe old age of like 21. I said, this is not happening. It was really, really depressing. Like, truly, but depressing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, so I said, I, I, you know, I'm tired of working all these odd jobs to try and support music. It's just not happening. So I, one of those odd jobs that I'd done, and I'd done many, as you may well recall, you know, everything from a dishwasher to working in a sheet metal factory, the night shift at Lever Brothers, which is no longer there, <laughs> warehouse at Eaton's, uh, um, a lumberjack for a summer. I always had my guitar. Not a good career move, by the way, for a guitar player, <clears throat> or anyone for that matter. It's a dangerous job. But. For sure. Uh, so uh, w one of those odd jobs was as a messenger at a law firm. And that's when the light went on and went, oh, hmm, these guys are getting an awful lot of respect. <laughs> and I'm not getting any as a musician. So hmm, I kind of like this, and maybe I could marry the two, right? Because you can always learn as a player. You don't have to go to music school. You don't have to study. And I went, okay, well, maybe I can combine the two bliss disciplines, which, which I've tried to do. Um, both of them are incredibly demanding, though. So when you said the two disciplines, we're talking... <laughs> music and law, yeah. But you also decided to go into entertainment law. Yes, and, and had, it had to be music. Okay. So I was very, very focused. At that point, it's kind of like... I, I recall this, uh, you know, this reading about Jim Morrison's life. He he he, he equated his career path as like pulling an arrow back. Well, that's what it felt like on this one in the law. Like if you missed your first target, you're not going to miss the second. So, yeah, oh yeah, I'd be I'd be I'd be in the library till midnight every night. Didn't matter if it's Friday reading on the Queen Street car on the way home. I lived in the beaches even then. Yeah, no, had to, had to do it. So um, I was not going to fail at that one. So, at that uh, point, what was um, music? What, 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 what was well, entertainment law? Actually, you know, on that note, for the very first time in my life, since I started playing, the very first year of law school, I didn't pick up the guitar at all. The only ever time that ever happened again was when I wrote the first edition of Musicians in Law in Canada didn't even touch an instrument for an entire year. Couldn't. Was so focused on what I had to do. Well, at least you had that focus. I mean, obviously you have the ability to focus. Because, oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people say, this music thing isn't working for me, and they'll start driving a cab or something. Well, the idea else. was that, that the law would be the engine to drive the creative side, which it has been. That's what I set out to do. A fairly modest goal, but I did achieve it. So being in law allows me to play music and not that have to I worry like about money. And not have to worry about the money. Same with photography, same with the poetry. The Lord knows I don't make any money. <laughs> I occasionally break even on <laughs> some of those endeavors. But, <laughs> but what did you think? Oh, so what was... Uh, entertainment law when you decided to go into it like was it clearly defined no no it, it, I think even today it isn't that clearly defined and that's why I ended up 
trying to do as much as I could to figure out what the field was about. I mean, there were a few entertainment lawyers around when, even when I went into law school, right. was aware of them. The bar was a lot smaller than it is now. There are dozens now in Toronto alone that I could mention that do it. When I first started back in 1983, probably a handful of entertainment lawyers that knew music, and that's a specialty within the specialty in this country. So that was the, always the goal is to yeah. represent so, music. Yeah, so when I went into law school, I mean, you, the first year you have to take a set of core courses. By the time I hit second year, uh, I wanted to go to Parkdale Community Legal Services, which is a poverty law program that Osgood runs. And uh, you had to take evidence. <laughs> and they had the first, uh, the first ever entertainment law seminar that I'm aware of, of course, in, in, in Osgood. It was a joint Osgood and UAT law school program. And you had to take tax in corporate law. <laughs> so I could do entertainment law, which actually was film law. Okay. So I'm going out of my mind. At this point, I'm going, huh? <laughs> 17 class hours, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot in law school. And you're already doing like, say, 70, 80 hours a week of studying. And you, you get into a course that's about film law. I'm going, no, that's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> but I ended up writing a paper for that course and did very well in it, um, it which ended up getting published. It was called Music Rights... And the uh, and the law and overview in Canada. So what year would this be? Nineteen eighty. Okay. <clears throat> so music was big. Music industry was a huge thing, right? Like it was a big money maker at that point. Yeah, yeah. I guess it was. In some places, sometimes the soundtrack would do better than the film. Right. In the in that era, yeah. Into the eighties, yeah. So you wrote this paper. It got, it got it got published in the Performing Arts Review, and that's where I got the idea that a few years later that could actually turn that into a book <laughs> but I had actually worked as a second year law student uh, for an uh, arts, arts organization called Canadian Artists Representation Ontario which is now Carfac Ontario does work for vi visual artists they're a visual artist uh, advocacy association I went oh that's close arts and entertainment so they ended up hiring me to write a book of uh, contract precedents in one summer that hadn't existed before. <laughs> and I went, hmm, if I can do it for the arts, <laughs> the visual arts, I can do it for music. So by the time I got through my law degree and got called to the bar, I, I went to Carswell. In fact, I went to a number of legal publishers and said, are you interested in a book on music law? And... Um, some of them were interested, but they they were asking me to give them an outline in the, the first chapter. I went, you're out of your mind. I'm not going to give you an outline in the first chapter. Just doing the outline alone was an unbelievable amount of work. I said, if I'm writing the first chapter, which means I've already started the book, because I've already got the, the blueprint, because i got the outline, I'm writing a book. You either make me an offer or I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. So the only one that did was Carswell, which is my publisher to this day. They looked at the model agreements book that I'd done for Carfac, and they said, well, I guess you can write. <laughs> we think you can do it. Great, here's a contract. 
<laughs> so that book. So yeah. The, what the, did you hope to accomplish with that book? What was the, like? How would you summarize that book? And, and who it, was it was a learning process for me. It was also uh, uh, it was to serve as a what I considered a, like a giant business card, uh, which it does to this day. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but I wanted to be in the field, and you couldn't learn in law school, in essence, despite the film law seminar that I, <laughs> I took. <laughs> so uh, it was to to know the field thoroughly before I got into it, because I mean, knowing the ins and outs of a particular practicer is tricky mm -hmm. you know it's it's very it's it's difficult so you'd at least have a good strong legal background in the area you wanted to be in plus it's a, some credential right which I did but so based on the strength of that I was able to and it still took me another two years after that to even get a even a possibility of practicing now you're like nine years in that's a pretty serious commitment to a field that you haven't even worked in yet. But that's the thing, right? Like a lot of people assume that you, you become a lawyer and it's an easy gig, but it's not. It's not. No, no, never is. Never has been. And, and never is, especially if you're working in the arts and entertainment. I mean, you're trying to make money for people that often don't have any money. Okay, so... It's, it's a difficult Can difficult we talk job. about that? So you start, you want to be a lawyer, and it's for our... Um, for musicians, well, are sure. you representing record companies? Like, you know, uh, in, a, in a layman's term, who who is your um, clients, and what are you doing for them? Well, we represent anyone, ideally, with a retainer, and with no conflicts. Right. I wouldn't have answered that the same way probably twenty years ago. <laughs> But most of them are going to be musicians, of course, because there are more musicians wanting to be musicians than there are other entities in the field. But we'll represent producers, managers, record production companies, record companies. I mean, over the 30 plus years I've been doing it, probably every level of the field, we've even done work over the years with major publishers and record companies. And these would be maybe contract, mainly contractual yes. things? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. I, that's another thing. A lot of people say, well, what is entertainment law? But primarily, it's a specialty form of corporate commercial law with an emphasis on the commercial, basically boiling it down to contracts. Right. The way I define it. Now, some people would say doing corporate tax for Cineplex Odeon is, is entertainment law, but I would beg to differ. <laughs> it's at least not in my world. Right, right. <laughs> No, it's uh, it's mostly contracts. Although we do some trademark, and I am a trademark agent as well, and that seems to go well with the field. And um, so, can you just so define trademark? What would trademarks. be an example of tra trademark in music? Uh, well, most musicians have either have a professional name or a group name right. if they're in a group, and record labels have uh, record company names. Those are examples and logos. Those and you know slogans identifying marks in their business really at the end of the day or what trademarks are all about okay so there's the music industry and especially back then there was major labels big big oh yes. bands and whatever <laughs> big business but but there's now also we're talking history yeah <laughs> ancient but, history but there is in the industry yes. so you know like let's say you and i decide to get a band together and we call it blue room or whatever 
Great name. (laughs) So, realistically, there's no reason to trademark that name. Oh, but we have. Okay. But, like, so I guess the question is, you know, what point do you think about that? Because... That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sooner the better. Right. Because you can get into trouble. And we actually did, quite frankly. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Give me an example. That's a personal example. I can share with you. Blue Room uh, had, had been using the, the, the name Blue Room since 1997. We applied for a mark and lo and behold there's another record label under the name Blue Room mm. that was competing with us in our own territory, which was from England by the way, okay. that, that was looking to try and <laughs> um, register the mark. We basically outlasted them and we were the lawful uh, trademark owner of Blue Room for what we do. Now, would that be difficult because they're in England and you're in Canada? Like, is that... Yeah, it took four or five years to sort that out and get it. It was, yeah, I'm just lucky I was a lord that (laughs) I didn't have to pay the legal fees to to sort out the trademark issue. There's lots, don't get me wrong, there's lots of other Blue Rooms out there, but they're, they're not for musical groups, at least not in Canada. Yeah, so I guess my question is Canadian more of, you know, for for your average musician, you know, when do they have to start thinking about trademarking things and whatever? Or do I'll, they? I'll have say to again, the sooner the better, because you don't want to lose exclusive rights to your your name. Um, having said that, it's probably not the first thing on their agenda because it, if you're looking at hiring a trademark agent to do the work, not that you couldn't try and do it yourselves. Some people do and find it a little too complicated. So sure. they go, they come to a lawyer to use a trademark agent to do it, or a trademark agent themselves. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're looking around $1,500 roughly, uh, 500 of which are government filing fees. Uh, so even that's a lot of money for mm-hmm. a lot of bands. And they're going, well, do we put this over here into whatever, another recording or artwork or our website or do we protect our name so they'll often put it on the back burner but that can be a problem later but okay so I'm thinking because at the level of blues and roots musicians uh, there's not a lot of money right I mean it's it's tough out there yes if, yes. if it's not trademarking is there anything, <clears throat> always has been yes but is there anything else that you know they should I mean, obviously if you have a contract then theoretically they should be coming to a, a, an entertainment lawyer to review the contract Ideally, yeah, yeah ideally. that would be good advice. Yeah, yes, I think. But is there any yeah. other examples of when musicians should be going to an entertainment lawyer? Other than trademark contracts. Yeah, uh, a band agreement, a partnership agreement is really important too. Uh, registering their name, even if it's not a trademark, you have an obligation to register a business name. So if you're carrying on business under a name other than your legal name. Um, can assist with that type of registration. Um, if they get a licensing opportunity, uh, it doesn't have to be a signing, it could be a, a large synchronization or master use placement, uh, or a small one for that matter, but but something, those make a lot of sense to, because there's a lot of intricacies in the, the licensing and, and getting some qualified advice on that can get you a better deal and avoid some of the pitfalls. Because I get the feeling that a lot of musicians wouldn't consider going to you. Not you personally, but just <clears> thinking about... No, I, I agree. You sure. 
Yeah, well, that's why we're always out there promoting. <laughs> 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 For sure. Uh, no, no, you're right. I, although I think I think that as a general, the the industry itself and musicians in it and people in it have the the, the because there's so much more information available out there free the and conferences and networking and the internet of course i think the cognizance and and the need the perception of the need and when to go is there mm-hmm. they still may not have the budget and there's a lot of self-help that goes on good and bad right you know that isn't always good i mean we're hard sometimes to unravel things that have been you know done without counsel and that's often more expensive than having done it properly in the first place or, or at least with counsel so yeah. how has your business changed over the last 30 years way less signings direct signings that's for sure way more licensing and distribution more litigious as well because there's more people arguing over a smaller pie but still arguing <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, yeah it's just a, there's just and the deals and, and the, the advances that are a lot smaller. So it's very volume driven and highly competitive. It's always been competitive, but way more so now than ever before. And now, of course, 30 years later, there are way more lawyers in the field. So it's way more competitive on the legal side, just as on the, on the music side with, with, the, um, with the decline of record sales, it's, it's, it's a lot harder to earn income as well. So you're getting this kind of perfect storm. Now, I'm sure we're not alone. We may be on the vanguard in the music industry, certainly well before films, but I, I think it's happening worldwide. Music industry just happens to be, like I said, leading that and been in double digit declines on the record side since 2002. It's in a deep depression, the record side of it. Right. Absolutely. <clears throat> it's been never been better as a consumer to buy music, that's for sure. Or, or consume just, it. Yeah. That's true. Harder for musicians, though, because that was one part of their major part of their income. Often for a lot of musicians, those are lost leaders these now. Which Think is it. crazy. It, it is. Because, it, I mean, I came from the era where a record was a valuable commodity and a work of art in itself. Now, to think of it, it's just a, either a piece of merch at live mm-hmm. with a CD. That Even that, unless it's autographed, why should I buy it? Because I can get it for free off the internet. Right. Or am I going to buy that or the T-shirt? Well, I can't download the T-shirt yet. <laughs> so I guess I'll get the... Well, tell me how the yeah. internet has changed your world. Well, things are a lot faster, that's for darn sure. Uh, I mean, it, 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 like everything else, Michael, when there's changes, there's pluses and minuses to it. I mean, I, can, I, I went through the era in the 80s when I first started practicing where the, the mantra was, we need distribution. You hear one, anyone crying about distribution these days? <laughs> no, we have worldwide distribution. And that's not the answer, but that was the answer then. We couldn't get into retail was the idea, mm-hmm. musicians. And there's no retail now. Yeah, now there isn't any retail to go to, and although I, iTunes and downloads are considered retail. Mm-hmm. So, but you're right, physical retail. No, it's if you walk into a physical retail, it's T-shirts, DVDs. Oh yeah, we have a few CDs over in the back there. 
and it's the top catalog. Best ofs. And, and the top 40. That's yeah. it. <laughs> Are you hopeful for the music industry? Like, how do you view the, the industry as it stands right now with all these changes? Well, there's never been a greater demand for music, and, and that doesn't seem to be satiated at all. So, um, <clears throat> the music business is growing and can grow. It's the record side of it that's is in deep transition, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you if they do move to what's called the, the so-called subscription model with streaming, right? Arguably, and that's that's where the majors seem to be putting their you know, their bets that that streaming is not only the present but the future. And if you if you can move people from from a freemium to a subscription model, there's even more money, so it will, the, you know, good days will return. That's kind of the thinking on the record side. But the music business itself has grown, live has grown. Um, uh, I'm not saying it's incredibly competitive, it is, and, and there's some changes there too, because what we used to take for granted as a vibrant club scene is starting to die off because the generation that's out there now that might support it isn't so necessarily live music oriented mm -hmm. by any means so that's changing too so but if you look at the concert side yeah it's still it's it's pretty healthy and there's growth there um, you know music publishing is growing too and of course if you're a star merchandising is can be incredibly valuable mm -hmm. but I just wonder about I mean there's a the star the, the few of them yeah and then there's everybody else yeah, the so-called 1%, right? Yeah, I'm not even sure true. it's 1% anymore. I, well, it might be, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there a question there, Mac? <laughs> that I can help you with? <laughs> no? <laughs> okay, so going back to streaming, which is a, a topic that I've discussed many times with my friends. And it's, I, you know, I think it's a concern. And I know that, yeah. No, I, I and it's great that you can do this. I hate the idea that I can't buy a CD for somebody for Christmas anymore because they can just <laughs> they have it all, right? Although it's a great used re uh, retail record store just down the street. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're gonna buy. We're probably gonna buy it used, though. Um, but the, yeah. the reality is that yeah. you know, from what I can gather, people paying eight dollars and nine dollars a month for whatever music service, streaming services. That's not really resulting in the artist getting paid a lot of money for it per play. Not yet. No, you're right. And it's point zero 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 seven cents or right. something. This is crazy. But that's on the other hand, if you look at and I do read a lot of the blogs and the newsletters and all that stuff, right now the last I had read, Universal and Sony were about neck and neck and about twenty four percent of their annual income is coming from streaming. And okay. it's growing. So they are very much, you know, ex the race is on to try and dominate that field and push the consumer there. So the, and they have a piece of the streaming too, right? Right. <laughs> so this time they weren't going to be napstered, right? Right, right. <laughs> Caught sleeping too. <laughs> but do you think it will get to the point where somebody can make decent money releasing a, an album and then getting money from streaming? The payments from streaming. Um, if you're in the top tier, right? 
you know, the, the, the odds are very, very high against making a lot of money from recordings. It's just that's just the reality of it. I mean, I've I've looked at the the. I mean, it, you, your jaw would drop if you saw some of the numbers. I mean, you know, the vast majority of records sell well less than a thousand copies. Yeah, and there may be a hundred thousand released. You know, in the states, in a year, for example. Which is also crazy. When you think of that, less than a thousand. I mean, I always ask, how many friends and family do you have? <laughs> That's the that's where you start. It's real, right? <clears throat> How do you get beyond that? That's tough. It is tough for most artists. They're not gonna not gonna not gonna happen. Okay, not so what's happen. the upside of the music industry? <laughs> <laughs> what's the good news? <laughs> you can have fun. <laughs> it's more fun than the, you know. I guess being in some some other more boring corporate environment <laughs> if you like the uncertainty and the, the thrill of the chase so if I was a musician I came to you and I said oh I have an opportunity to be on a streaming service or not what would you say well mo most will will do that automatically because they'll, they'll go through one of these aggr aggregators and they're they're on it right and they're so on they iTunes to. too right whether they make any money off of that that's that's the matter of issue of promotion and you know developing uh, an audience but everyone, everyone could go on. That's the great, like I said, that's the democracy that we're in. <laughs> the commercial democracy. We can all have distribution worldwide. So going back to your book, tell me the name of the book. Uh, it's called Musicians in the Law in Canada. And he's just grabbing it right now for those who can't see. <laughs> and it's in his fourth It's now the blue book. And see, I use it too. I've got a bookmark. <laughs> I do. Um, <laughs> Fourth it's edition, yeah. fourth edition, which is pretty amazing, is it not? Like, I mean, did you expect it's it a to lot make... of work? Yes, yeah, yeah, big commitment. But yeah, I, it's been in published. Well, I wrote the first edition in eighty three, eighty four. It was published in eighty five, and it's now twenty sixteen. So it's over thirty years in the marketplace. So the fourth edition would include things like the internet and streaming and absolutely okay. yeah yeah oh, yeah. And this is sure. something that you would recommend musicians, anybody in the industry to look at, or yes, although it tends to be oriented even more so now in the fourth edition to the legal uh, and professional market. Not to say musicians don't buy it and read it. Some of them do. Some of them more business oriented than others. Mm -hmm. um, I have a couple other handbooks too that I that I have published that kind of fits more into the consumer market. Okay, so I know that it's geared towards Canadian musicians or the Canadian industry. Does it? That's what they look like. Volumes one and two. Music law handbook. Yeah. For Canada, so if if somebody was in the states, it's totally a different thing. Can they benefit from this book? They or? could. There's a lot of similarities. Uh, but they, the moment they see the word canon in it, they'll probably not pick it up. Right. So it does have a, you know, it's funny. I, I, had, I had said to my handbook publisher, who's a different publisher than the, the textbook, um, Musicians in the Law, <clears throat> to drop Canada out of the name. No, 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 we've got to have that in. I'm going, well, then you know what's going to happen. <laughs> but is it applicable to non-Canadians? <clears throat> Some of it is, because... Uh, um, the practice in the music industry, it's always been a global industry. Mm -hmm. 
publishing and recording is all they've always sold globally and that's what you hope for worldwide success so the terminology tends to be fairly international I mean there are territorial differences certainly in the laws yes the copyright laws will differ um, but the contracts are fairly consistent surprisingly with a few odd wrinkles mm-hmm. so but when I get into the legalities, like you know, neighboring rights in Canada or the Copyright Act in Canada, yeah, that's specific to Canada, for sure. So, but I get the impression a lot of musicians get into music because they like to play, and then Absolutely. they get into gigging because that's the way of getting the music out there. But I don't know if a lot of them get to the point where they, you know, there are definitely some who do, but who who look at it as a business and who look at the laws and the, and the options and the possibilities as much as they should probably because they're too busy yeah. updating their Facebook page or <laughs> you know or getting the word out getting gigs yeah. or whatever it is well I can I can emphasize with that I mean you really as a musician you've got to focus on your art first and foremost mm-hmm. if you don't have great music and talent and great you know, great recordings of that, you're not even at square one, so all the business in the world's not gonna help. Um, I think there's more orientation, like I said, there's more information out there and more encouragement for musicians to understand the legal and business aspects of what they do. Some of them are more into towards that than others. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them are more right brain centric than, than left brain you know right. and fortunately if you're in a group there's usually seems to be at least one individual that seems to take that on and it, it works well with their mindset right I've seen some other artists though that you mean, you, man they shouldn't even be driving a car let alone <laughs> trying to think about a contract <laughs> and I don't mean that in no. any disrespect they're just artists yeah they're that's what they do and that's what they should do but they need, then they need someone around them and their team to help protect them. Lawyer, accountant, manager, hopefully one, you know, people that they can trust and be their advocates. Right. But you're right. I mean, you stretch pretty thin these days if you're an artist because you got to, um, <clears throat> yes, you have to be an artist, do everything that I just mentioned, but you're often self-managing, you're booking yourself, you're booking all your own tours, you're promoting yourself, you're on social media. Oh yeah, and yeah. Now, now you got to run your business, get the trademark, on, all of that stuff too. And going, <clears throat> wow. I mean, that's overwhelming. It, it is. It's that's too much. But until you get until you get to a certain level of financial viability, you're not going to pick up management because there's nothing to manage. There's nothing to commission. Mm-hmm. Manager can't even justify the time. Um, or, or attract label interest if you're interested in that, which and many are. You know, that's part of a, a viable team. Still, I mean, a lot of people argue, no, oh, you don't need a record company these days. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, you're right. In certain situations, you don't. But if you're not, if you're going to have worldwide success, you're going to have to have that too. So they're not, you know. The, the record company is still very much, uh, you know, their roles have changed too. But who wouldn't want someone to put up some money? Who wouldn't want someone to help, you know, promote you? 
and then you're paying for the relationships that they have in the industry to to uh, to further your career. Mm -hmm. That's what a good label does. You've been doing this for a number of years as a, um, a, a entertainment lawyer, and I think I read somewhere that being in entertainment law for a long time is almost as hard as keeping a band for a long time. Is it? Is it? That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And what makes it so difficult? Well, like I said, you're working with people that often don't have a lot of money, and it and and with more and more lawyers in in the marketplace, it's more and more competitive. So just because I wrote a book, who cares? Like you still got to prove yourself. It's right. like the artist, right? Just because you had a great last single, what's your next one like? You know, I forget. I forget you. Who who are you? Where are you? <laughs> oh yeah, you. That was a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, you're always gotta. You you, you gotta. It's like you know, it's like that that Greek myth of Sisyphus rolling the stone up the hill. Well, you gotta do it the next day too. That's just the way it goes. <clears throat> but the other thing you do is you also teach. Tell me, how you get out of teaching. Uh, well, um, it's a challenge. Uh, it can be fun. Um, I work, uh, I do, I'm an instructor at Metalworks, which is a post-secondary private institution for people that are interested in the music industry. I teach intellectual property, which includes copyright, trademarks, patents, industrial designs, and I, I, I look at the full gamut of publishing, recording agreements and management, producer agreements, you name it. Pretty much the whole gamut. Um, and the people who are attending this mm, course is mainly people, people that want to be in the music business. Okay. Not uh, necessarily so studio related. As some of them are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of audio students at Metalworks, right. and as I think there are at other private music schools. I think the vast majority of them want to be audio engineers and producers. Um, but I get the business stream too. Um, there are some people I deal with that, that are, they do music um, uh, as performers as well, digital music production, show production management, um, people that want to be managers, the whole wide gamut. So there's about six or seven uh, course streams that I teach, not all at once. And right. right now, I'm, I don't usually do more than about one day and about, do about three courses in a day, about two, two hour lectures each. Um, yeah, but it's fun to work with people in the in, in you know at that level. I, I like to think um, by putting that in, it's giving something back on, on one level. Gets me out of the office. It's different. <laughs> it's like traveling one day a week, <laughs> sort of. You've been Feels doing like it for that. a while, right? Like it's uh, been a few I'm years. into my eleventh year now. Yeah, I've been there since the first month, and I like to think we're building the future now. At the at this level, so and I I am starting to see some students come through and that will hire me, you know that have gone through uh, a school like Metalworks, and they're way above their 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 colleagues that are trying to do it with no training, mm. way above because they've been exposed to the business and experienced instructors etc. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting ride, but it is challenging, you know, because you're you're up there, you're lecturing, you're still an entertainer at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, are. Yeah, you got to keep your their attention, even though they, you know, they 
they want to be there to get through their courses. You know, it's still a two-hour <laughs> commitment. Why should I go to that class? <laughs> yeah, skip law this it's year. It's that legal class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like law anyway. <laughs> it's boring. But are you hopeful? Me, yeah, but it's my life. <laughs> are you hopeful for the future? Uh, in what, which, in, which future? <laughs> the music industry's yeah, future yeah. or mine? <laughs> well, they're kind of connected, are they not? They are so. So they have been for a long time. Yes. Um, I don't really think about it. I'm trying to think about the moment. Uh, I, you know, people often ask, well, "What do you see in the future of the music industry?" I don't know. If 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 I did know, I'd be a very very wealthy man. Or, or you'd <laughs> Which get out of the industry. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really don't know what's holding uh, holding for the music business. I think people will always consume music, and like I said, it is growing in the interest. It just seems to be every time you turn around, there's another marriage of music with something you know mm -hmm. to, to make our life uh day to day uh be m more interesting more livable you know that's what i think so my final question would be when you look back on this journey that you've taken from that kid who decided maybe uh, i will yes. do entertainment law what how do you look back on it on this whole experience play more music <laughs> it's good for you <laughs> I don't regret playing music. That's for darn sure. Um, you know, if it's like I said, if it's in kind of in your DNA, you, that's what you seek out. You know? mm -hmm. And and you got to look back then. I mean, the people that I cited and, and then some, you know, guys like John Lennon or Bob Dylan or Jimi Hendrix. Those were role models, mm -hmm. heroes. You want to be like those people, at least musically. You know, right. I mean, not necessarily in terms of their lifestyle, but some of that too. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, I think that's, you kind of carry on the torch. That's where, where the inspiration came from. It's still there. Well, thank you very much for this time. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you.